it's very hard to test for character. And yeah. the way and the way we do it is through proximity. Yep. Right. So and so we're so we are praying and we are waiting for God to bring us opportunity, but then we have to do our due diligence and get to know people. That's right. right. So we we use kind of a three-tier model for looking at businesses um, traditionally, and that's the character of the people that are running the business, the mechanics they employ, and then how they structure their partnerships. Welcome, friends. You are listening to Blue Collar Money, Theories of Middle-Class Investing with your hosts, P.W. Gopal and Mike Hatch. Welcome back to Blue Collar Money, where we are helping everyday folks get financially unstuck. That's what we're trying to do. I am Mike Hatch, and I am here with P.W. Gopal. <laughs> You're laughing at me, P.W. Well, I just like how you said unstuck. Yeah. With the, the emphasis on the stuck part. Yeah. I'm, I'm imagining being stuck in some kind of glue and just unstuck. Ugh. Moving forward, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I think that might apply to a lot of us. Um, I don't know. I just feel like there's more people I talk to, the more people are maybe not feeling stuck, but maybe feeling paralyzed with COVID and just such an unusual season for most of America. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely a different season for everybody. And it's interesting because everybody keeps asking, you know, or keeps saying, can't wait for things to go back to normal. And yeah, you're shaking. Really? I mean, I'm just like, it's, it's it can't go back. <laughs> it can't go back. Are you kidding me? The right and the left are so far apart that they're not going to let us go back. Yeah, there's I too agree. much. There's too much to profit from. Oh, oh my gosh, gosh! Like, what what do they, what what do people think there that is happening here? Like, this is a a puppeteer game. Oh, so as long sad. as, as, so long as they can keep us fighting with each other and saying it was that guy or is this guy or this woman or that woman, we can never come together and have a, having a meet, have a meaningful conversation and actually get work done. Yeah. And we're going to continue to hire buffoons to go and, you know, collect major salaries and huge pensions. And we're not going to get work done. I think this is why I am such a, have such a belief in my version of capitalism because I just I think we can protect uh, we can protect uh, people through mm -hmm. the through the private sector, and I know the criticism is you know I know the criticisms that exist, and I and I understand them, and I believe in them because the private sector is is as greedy as the government, or even I mean maybe even the nonprofit sector. Yeah, I just think the the smaller machines are are just more effective, and I don't even know how we got on this topic. But holy cow, people! Like in the midst of all this fighting back and forth on Facebook, like pull yourself back, take a breath. And number one, I mean, we talk. The, the reason that Mike and I talk all the time is because we we are in part each other's sanity. Go find somebody that's going to give you some sanity, and who can remind you that God is still in control. That the narrative that's being fed to us is, is a narrative that's being fed to us and it's being fed to us for a reason. We don't have to buy, you don't have to choose between supporting cops and black people. 
you don't, you, you don't have to make those distinctions. Um, it's way more complex than they make it out to be. Well said, well said, PW. And you're yes, right. I'm pretty fired up about this, Mike Hatch. <laughs> I can I tell. To, I need to go have a beer and calm down. Woo, man, we're on fire here. Okay, well, the good part is we, we are, this is part two of the seven roads of investing. We didn't finish the last uh, in the last episode all the all the roads, so we're going to finish up those in this episode. And what I like about this is that these are things we can do. These are these are ways that we can start having a redemptive impact, like we talk about often in our communities and families and the local economies. And uh, and so I'm excited to, to get into this second half here. And, and then just again, thank you everybody for, for listening. Those of you who are, who've been listening, we appreciate you. Thank you for the thumbs up. We're up to 13 thumbs up. PW, you said that earlier. I was so pumped about that. And well, I'm sorry, thumbs up. What am I talking about? It's not thumbs up. It's five stars. I kept thinking, yes. like, where, where are we seeing thumbs up? <laughs> sorry. We've got, yeah, 13 five stars. That's exciting. We're over 1,100 downloads. And, and now for some people, they're like, yeah, that's, you know. They're like, that's this on the back. That's, that's nice. It's very cute. <laughs> it's child's play to, to some it's people. child's play. But we're, hey, we're growing up. We're going to be um, toddlers soon. Yeah. And then adolescents. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, all right. So let's go ahead and again, thank you folks for listening. And uh, we're going to jump into the second half now of the seven roads of investing. So let's let's move on here. Business equity. Now you and I talked about this before. There's not a lot of there're not a lot of templates out there for buying business, buying equity in a small business. Like I know equity brokers and they put a lot of money into larger businesses. Um, you know, or stuff that's worth their time. Million, 2 million, 5 million, 10 million dollar businesses. Some of them buy small businesses, but there's not a great, there are not great templates for middle-class people buying into middle-class-ish businesses, but the opportunities are showing up. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, you can, <clears throat> I think part of it, number one is again, okay, so this, I'm, I know I'm risking sounding churchy, but, but if you're a Christian and you're a follower of Christ, then I would encourage you number one to just pray that God would reveal or introduce you to people and, and, and yeah, reveal those opportunities just simply between you and me, PW, as we've been talking about these things over this podcast, I've had multiple situations come up where it just, it sparked something inside of me as, as I would talk to somebody like a, I talked to someone who owned a machine shop and found out about what would it would take to take them to the next level. Uh, in terms of certification, which might make them more profitable, open more doors. And, oh, wow, that's a, that sounds like that would be an opportunity for me to step in and, and either lend or become an, get it, buy an equity share in it. I met with another company that I connected with on LinkedIn, the CEO and, and a representative about a company that's just starting up. It's a technology company, and they're doing some really cool things in, in the, the church world or church market, which may... Um, they were doing it before the pandemic, hmm. and now since the pandemic, they could be really, really valuable to churches who are yeah. trying to make an impact online. And 
but again, that was just something that kind of, I, I noticed on LinkedIn as I was interacting with somebody, a lot of the time it, it's relationships. It's who are the people you know and, and building those relationships and, and keep keeping aware. And, um, and then we just remembering that when you do that, when you buy business equity or, or you partner with somebody, it, it's a, it's a covenant relationship. Like it's a commitment. And so it's not something that you just give them money. Like, unfortunately the, the idea of these unicorn businesses have kind of ruined our expectations when it comes to this, because we hear about people who gave, you know, $25,000 to this company, it became a unicorn and that 25,000 became 25 million um, seemingly overnight. That's not the norm. The norm is it's gritty and you've got to be committed to it. It's similar to a marriage, you know, where you enter into this relationship yeah. and, uh, and you're in it for the long haul, basically. The significant piece to investing in the way you describe, you have to understand that middle-class folks don't have replacement income for their investment income without driving tons of hours to make that money back. So that's a, that's a long way of saying your risk, you have to be risk averse. Right. And, and to, to go back to something that John Coyne said, he said, he said something referring to it's very hard to test for character and yeah. the way, and the way we do it is through proximity. Yep. Right. So, and so we're, so we are praying and we are waiting for God to bring us opportunity, but then we have to do our due diligence and get to know people. That's right. right? So we, we use kind of a three tier model for looking at businesses um, traditionally, and that's the character of the people that are running the business, the mechanics they employ, and then how they structure their partnerships. Because by like, I've seen people that I love that are just great people and they're pretty good at the mechanics. But when you look at the partnerships that they've set up, there's, uh, in my experience, um, they haven't done their due diligence about the marriage about the marriage component, because it really is like, if you are deciding to partner something that you've spent so much time building with something that's either ineffective or incomplete, or, you know, letting, letting strangers into your bed is just a, is a tough, I hate using that phrase, but it's, it's a very tough thing to, to, to navigate. And so you want to make sure that whoever comes in, I'll, I'll change it from bed to house. Um, whoever comes in is going to stay for a while. Right. And so take the time. If you, if you are a business owner looking for money, or if you're a person like wanting to add value, you know, to somebody's business, take the time to get to know them because Mike's right. You, you've got, you're, you can't be pulling your money out. If that person hits hard times and, and dips, you got to help them through it. Not say, Hey, fix this. <laughs> Give me my money. Yeah. Right. And through through sickness and in health, through what else was there? Well, uh, rich. What is it? Not rich. <laughs> richer for poorer and sickness for and in health. Till death do us part. Yeah. <laughs> Mike wrote his own vows. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, and and business equity is something that uh, it takes hours to go through. It's really fun to talk about, but it's we're just throwing it out there. Okay, referral fees. So Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called the, the tipping point and in it, he describes two types of people, mavens and connectors and mavens being experts and connectors being connectors. 
Um, and so we're starting to see, and, and it's been around for a while. It's not that it's just happened, but we're just, we're just seeing it. The, the idea that they can write themselves into the deal when they introduce two mavens, you know, and so you don't necessarily have to be an expert, but here's what you do have to be an expert about. And this really is an art form. If you understand business and you understand this idea of producing and producing value and seeing a gap and then moving that value into the gap, the sales bridge means, you know, selling that product is building the bridge, going across, grabbing somebody's hand, bringing them over to your side, giving them time to see and feel. And that's a pretty convoluted process. And when you're looking at that process, some people are, they're really good at seeing um, at creating half the narrative and a connector can write out the entire story and say, you know, what would make this situation better is if this value is combined with this gap or this product or this person, let me introduce the two. You can write yourself into the deal. Now I spent, I mean, I was up till four in the morning watching, um, a mechanic online and I kept wondering how he was I mean, he's got so many followers and he's great. Like, I just love w listening to Washington, but he's so smart because I never saw him working on a vehicle and I didn't see anybody else working on vehicles. I mean, the amount of hours and, and, and stuff that he puts out, the content was incredible. Well, I looked on his YouTube page and I realized that he's partnered with Amazon and all the products that he talks about that he uses, he is now an affiliate for. Interesting. And so if he directs people through Amazon, through this link, he actually gets money for that. And that is the lowest hanging fruit of this entire environment that we're describing of taking, you know, people that have needs that really need to meet. Yep. Yep. And, and if you have that connector mindset where you're able to kind of back up and like you said, kind of see the big picture and see two possible pieces that could fit together, kind of like puzzle pieces. Yeah. And that can be really valuable because other people, like, like you said, they're, they're so in up to their eyeballs with their own business. Sometimes they can't get their head up to see good. But if, if yeah. you become really valuable as that person who can see the bigger picture and help connect those two yeah. people, be mutual. The people, the, the people who are best connectors are the ones that want to see um, the most amount of good be done. And so they're, they, they just want to see the best story be written. And so they are so, they get fired up about making those connections. If you don't care about the, the level of value created, you end up partnering good with okay, just so you can get a check, you know, as opposed to great with great, you know, and, and the folks I know in that space um, who do well are the ones that just, they love to see those great stories being written. Good. So that was referral fees, number five. So number six, of uh, the seven roads of investing, intellectual property. And Mike lives in this space because he built a class on this. And, and you know, and I'm, I'm trying to write one right now. Um, I just need a little margin. But the more we live in this space, the more we realize that, you know, because of the sales bridge, and because of it being hard to convince people, like people are just tired of being sold too. Oh my gosh. Yes. Like all of us live in that boat. We're just, we're tired of it. So I understand the cynicism, you know, when, in, when people respond to ads the way they do, I do the exact same thing. Um, so when you're dealing with intellectual property, you have to understand, you have to warm people up. 
it's, it's, it's really unusual to find the believers right off the bat. And I mean, believer as in the people who believed in your product and want your product already. That niche right there that I just described belongs to Amazon. You know, they have made, people have made an entire living at finding out what people are already buying and then just go setting up a store. Um, I mean, the number, one of the top sellers on Amazon is a flashlight. And so instead of, instead of getting a product and then trying to find somebody to buy it, you just find out what they're already buying and then go to Alibaba, make a deal with them, get that flashlight, put your name on it and sell it. And, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about, you know, your intellectual property that you think is going to fill a gap, patching, packaging it up in such a way that is going to reach an audience. Well, that audience doesn't know it's valuable yet. So you've got to warm them up and that takes time. And you've got to be willing to honor that person by giving them what they need. And what they need is free stuff. They need a great introduction to you. They need a bunch of free stuff. And then eventually when they start to trust you, they don't have any reason to trust you, but when they do, well, then you can say, um, I would, I would love it if, you know, if you would let me complete the story by selling, you know, selling you this product and then staying in the game with them. The guy who wrote Lynchpin, Seth Godin. Oh yeah. Was that a book? Um, yeah. Lynchpin is one of his books. It's a great book, but he wrote it in, he wrote it in such a way that after, after purple cow and some of the things that got him on the map, he built a following, but to honor his following, he said, Hey, I'm going to send you this book for free. I can't imagine what that cost him. And he said, if you like the book, please buy it and, sell, and send it to your friends. And he crushed it. But it was, it was a great way f- to keep people in his tribe. Oh, and by the way, he wrote the book Tribes. So that should speak to that. Right. The guy well, who wrote it. And uh, just to back up real quick for a second, PW, just yeah. really briefly for those of us, those of us who are, might be listening, let's define really quick what intellectual property means. Yeah, I don't know that that I have a great official definition um, outside of the fact or outside of the idea that you are selling an education. Yeah. Of, so of some sort. That came from you vis-a-vis yeah. intellectual that came from you that you, you have experience with have dealt with it. It's your, it's comes from your wealth of knowledge and you've extracted that and put it into a form, whether it be a digital course, a book, something, that yeah. provides value for other people, right? Yeah, and not, um, and we both know this. Like, it, not everybody's selling books right now, right? So there's other ways that you're going to have to get to people. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I would consider social media, you know, intellectual property, but people are using people are using social media to to get word out about that intellectual property, and and we're starting to see because of the devaluing of college. Mm-hmm. in the you know the 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 issues behind college debt that um you know udemy and coursera and these different things are offering classes you know cheaper and uh there's just so much free information out there yep and sometimes uh, that's the way it might start too so maybe you just yeah. have a youtube channel and you start teaching something on youtube building a following or create short videos on linkedin that help people you'd be surprised at the things that people don't know how to do, you know? Yeah. So for example, I'm a pastor and not that I would do this, but it's something I could do. I, I not many pastors understand how to utilize social media and LinkedIn or YouTube or, or if, uh, Facebook or these things. And, mm-hmm. and they're, 
you know, there could be uh, a, a gap, a knowledge gap there that someone who's very familiar with that could come in and, and just put a 20 minute instructional video on how something specific, like yeah. how to write a great tagline in, in LinkedIn or how to, how to, um, how to upload video in, in Facebook or something, you know what I mean? Mm. Just little things yeah. like that. Actually, That's a good word. A lot of value. Yeah. This, I think this is where, you know, John Maxwell, I don't, I don't think he coined the phrase, but he, he's the one who uses the add value phrase to me like the most. And mm. I just think this is one of those places where, you know, the curation of, of the story that you're, that you're offering can really help somebody. It's the same information the other guy might be writing, but the way you tell it is compelling. Yes. Right. And so, and yeah. so you're going to add value to that gap and to the, what that person's struggling with and the clearer you can be about it, the better. So our phrase for intellectual property is niche down and funnel. Hmm. So don't write about everything, write about what you know, write about the small things and write well, and then funnel, understand that you're going to have to have a wide front door, hmm. right? Cast a wide net, but get people moving along a continuum, get them to trust you. And be vulnerable, be personal about it because you're going to win in the end, you know, because people can smell the bullshit. Like it's just flowing, <laughs> yes. right? I turn on social media and I feel like I'm dirty when I'm done with it. Like <laughs> you can win, you can win even in the midst of all this madness. Like it can still work for you. Okay. You think that's fair? Definitely. Oh my gosh, definitely. Yeah. I think because the, 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 the person who knows themselves, like we've talked about in the past is, has a, hopefully a high EQ, emotional uh, IQ in a sense, and, and, and are, are presenting authentically, um, that's uniquely themselves. There's a lot of social equity that that brings, mm. relational equity. Because in, in some sense, I've heard some people who, who, um, who preach this stuff online, the, the social media stuff, say that you end up, you end up building rapport with, with people before you've ever met them. Hmm. So they get to know you through you being you uniquely yourself online. And then when you end up getting to sit down with them or do business with them or serve them in some way, they already have context about who you are. That's great. So are we on to number seven then? Uh, yeah. The debt shop. The debt shop. It's, that is a terrible title for what this is. Uh, mainly because like debt has a really bad connotation for me. Yeah. And I just couldn't think of a different way to say it. Maybe we'll come up with a positive spin on debt shop. But basically it's loaning money, right? To Yeah. And it's, it's more of a hub, right? Like the way we did, we've talked about it. It feels more like a hub and it's a place that it started, they're starting to pop up. Like it's called alternative lending. I saw it in the banking world. I got a, a weird window into it through the special assets banking, which is they call, this is funny. They call special assets banking is basically the people in a bank that handle all the bad loans. When the, when the loans start to go bad, they call them special. because <laughs> No bank wants to say we've got bad loans. Your money's at risk. So they call them special. So yeah, through the special assets banking world, I got to see this alternative funding for businesses because I would be, I'd be listening in on a phone call to a bank, which is not really a bank. It was just a, a credit lending thing that would specialize in certain industries. When banks don't want to loan money, that gives opportunity for other people to say, Hey, we know that industry and we actually have a lot of money. We will shop the debt. We will take that money and put it in 
and, and specifically this is regarding fun houses so amusement parks nobody banks don't know they don't understand it so they didn't want to loan to it so this one organization uh, which acted like a bank would loan money large amounts of money to buy ferris wheels and all kinds of weird stuff and when they would go bad we would be part of negotiating um some of their settlements and that part that part happened accidentally like we were I worked for an auctioneer. We should have had nothing to do with it, but they let us in because they just wanted their money. Anyways. And so that could be like an online hub for like crowdfunding kind of thing. To yeah. And, and the one I'm thinking of particular is, is the one that you're familiar with this honeycomb credit, which I want to get back to the principle yep. behind this is very simple. Um, and I'm only, we're only making you aware of this because it's going to become more mainstream. And so we want to give you a category for this is this, this idea that there will be people and organizations that connect money to people who have influence over a gap, mm -hmm. which is, you know, it's a simple way of saying that if there's a person investing in fixing a gap and I'm able to resource them by giving them money. Uh, and the part of this, this is the larger scale of the business equity idea. Instead of me going to somebody local and investing in their business, I'm now through an intermediary giving money to a hub and they're doing the vetting for me mm -hmm. of what are these businesses, you know, whatever these businesses are. Yeah. And so I have the opportunity to, to put in a dollar or $10 or even $50,000 and they do the vetting and they kind of give me the profile of the business. Um, it's a lot of responsibility for the hub itself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I don't ever have to really meet, the business. Yeah. Just, at that point, I'm just an investor. But what, what I love about it is that actually is, we've talked about it before PW, I think offline, but that's kind of a more honest way to function as a bank. And in terms of if, if we had honest money or money that was not inflating and yeah. value money that would be a, a, a stable store of value, off what banks would do. This is the purpose they would serve. They would be that hub for someone to put their money to store it. And if they wanted to earn interest on it, they would allow the bank to invest that money in a business or even specifically decide to invest in a bank in a business that the bank was working with. And you would not have access to that capital because it would be being put to work right. and you're earning a decent interest on it, interest rate. And with you're, places you're like saying that, that's what it used to be. That's the way it used to be. Yeah. What yeah. is it now? Describe what it is now without throwing it. Oh yeah. So now instead you give the bank money, you earn 0.025%, but the bank is allowed to take nearly all of our money and invest it at crazy, you know, making, making interest multiple, multiple times, much more than what we're, we earn. So they right. make, of our money it's interest for them not for you exactly right exactly. and you get access to your money though which that's a problem if your money is put somewhere where it's earning interest and you have access to it there's something wrong with it say, say that a different way um, if your money is being invested and you still have access to it something is not right yeah something shady is going on yeah so you're saying when, when somebody, when you give money to a bank and they give it to somebody to use, 
but you can still have access to it. And the numbers appear in two different spaces. Right, exactly. Because right? The bank, yeah, so the, the missing piece to this is that the bank is creating currency. When you loan them money, they create, gosh, up to 95% more yeah. than your deposit in, in currency, which then goes out into the economy and devalues the dollar as a result because there's more of it. So basically the bank is confiscating currency in a sense, and they're allowed to do it. It's legal. So this is legal. It's, yeah. it's legal counterfeiting is what it is. Cause they, you, you deposit $10. They're allowed to take, they take, take nine of it. Yes. Take nine of it. And they just enter new numbers for new currency into their computer yeah. and voila, new currency is created. And, but you can spend 10 of it. You, you still have access to 10 of it. Right. Yep. So, that's the bummer with, with banking is it's contributing to this inflationary problem that we have in huge ways, even more so than the Federal Reserve is. So going back to Honeycomb Credit, though, of course, that's a situation where you put your money in and it's, it's a more honest approach because you don't have access to your money because that money is being put to work. But mm. there, there's, a, there's a good interest rate on it. I mean, a lot of those deals are between 7 and 11% interest. Jeez, You're not going to get that storing your money anywhere yeah, else. It's a lot. Uh, and so, so that you have to know that, okay, Stu, I'm giving my money to this and over the next five years, yeah. I'm going to earn this amount of interest and be okay with that. And um, again, hopefully it's a business that maybe you're aware of or familiar with, you enjoy maybe your customer already. So you feel like you're being a part of, yeah. of building that business. That's a great point. Remember that your investment income, middle-class people only earn a certain amount a reasonable amount. So you, we're not expecting that, you know, the people who are listening have just tens of thousands of dollars to, to put in. So whatever you put in, make sure it's money that can be risked. And so as more of these debt shops come up, um, they're going to be, they're going to be selling hard and we don't have a way of vetting them because they're new. Yeah. So we, we have to be a little more careful. Like this is a category and it's a category that we should look at and invest in. But again, the risk is in the investor. So, so do your homework. Don't be dumb and just think like, hey, you know, this is a great format. And so I'm going to use it. The, the hub should be tested as, as you know, much as the, the industry and the business itself. Definitely. Um, and, and the hub, you know, Honeycomb Credit, they are doing due diligence. They're putting together these market marketing plans there. The business has to submit the business plan. I mean, there, there's a lot involved in, in doing it, but, mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't, that doesn't get you off. You're, you're giving them your money. <laughs> so yeah. you, better, you better do your own due diligence in the process. So one of the things um, we talked about offline um, that I just want to recap is there were certain characteristics to this idea of honest investing that you were, speaking of earlier, um, first one being that we would invest in people. Yes. Right. So Definitely. we can, we can invest in, you know, in, in businesses, but our, our ultimate goal is to really bring our investments closer in, in bringing our money closer to home because of the changing environment and adding risk at all levels. We want to invest in people. We want to invest in things that are transparent. Um, usually that the things that are closer to home, we can do that. We want to be 
we want to be um, in proximity to our investments, right? Right. And then, you know, kind of going back to the, the parable that you shared earlier is that all of those things play into being wise, right? Yeah. They're, they're in the, sh- the word shrewd, you know, like, I don't like that word. So I'll just say wide or astute, wise or astute. But um, if, if the environment is about to change and it's about to change radically, and let's say it's five years down the road, let's say the market continues to go up for five years. And you're like, those two guys on the podcast are idiots. They don't know what they're talking about. <clears throat> There's a possibility that, you know, that potential energy can become kinetic. And we're hoping that you're paying attention to the collection of the narrative when, when there's just so much weight going into that category of risk. Number one, the middle class needs to pay attention to it. And then we need to know when to pull the trigger. Go back to our episode on pivot. We are telling you, you must, you must, you must pivot. And, and we're hoping that some of you will believe us and, uh, and start to look at these seven roads uh, of investing and do your homework. And then hopefully if you're in there in that space longer than us or, uh, closer than us, you can teach us. Yeah. Right. right? That's right. Cause we're all, we're all learning together. Yeah. Amen. Friends. Thank you for listening in. You have been listening to blue collar money with PW Gopal and Mike Hatch. If you would like to reach out to PW directly, you can reach him through his website at pwagopal.com or you can reach out to Mike Hatch at empoweredmanhood.com. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming contents. Thank you again for listening and we look forward to connecting with you soon.